Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 42 called Restoration and Blessing. Now, the heart of God is to love God. To keep his commandments is to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I see in these three friends is they wanted their neat little philosophical religious answers systematized, maybe from the traditions of their fathers. And I'm not saying that these guys didn't have a fear of God or didn't have some good things to say. They did, but they got a lot of it wrong. And what they especially got wrong was a judgment on Job's heart. They kept, um, you know, they get more and more frustrated with him. They, they want him to come clean, but they're wrong. They were wrong about him. And they were also wrong about God. I want you to notice that God makes it about him because he says, you have not spoken, end of seven, uh, of me what is right as Job has. I was reading a commentator this week who says, it's not surprising to us that God says the friends were wrong, but it ought to surprise us that the Lord says that uh, that Job was right. How is this? Is it possible that God's affirmation refers only to Job's humble response to God's speeches? He goes on, yet I think there's a deeper truth here. It seems to me that God's affirmation of Job applies somehow not only to what Job has said, but to who Job is. The essence of the thought is this. The friends were content with the system of rules they had invented. Job cannot be satisfied with any system. He must know God. This is what Christianity is all about. It's not about a system. It's not about a building. It's not about a set of rules. It's about knowing God. And when you know God, everything else flows from that, even your times of confusion, even your questions. Please notice also that Job is called my servant, Job. This is a pretty high title. In fact, you do a quick concordance search on my servant, and you can, you can see that in Numbers 12, 7, God says, my servant, Moses. Numbers 14, 24, my servant, Caleb. In 2 Samuel 7, 5, my servant, David. This is some pretty high company. Uh, in Isaiah 20, verse 3, my servant, Isaiah. In 22-20 of Isaiah, my servant Eliakim. And then in Isaiah 41.8, God calls Israel my servant. And get this, from Isaiah 42 forward, including 49 and chapter, uh, I think it's 50 and 52, there's four servant songs in Isaiah, starting in chapter 42. 49, 50, and then 52 and 53. And this servant is called my servant, and these servant songs are messianic prophecies. See, Job was the servant of Yahweh, my servant, but the ultimate servant that Job pictures 
is another suffering servant. Brethren, let me remind you that the fourth servant song about the Messiah, recorded 700 years before he would ever live, talks about his death in graphic detail prophesied in Isaiah 53 and the end of 52. The suffering servant. We've often taken our Jewish friends to Isaiah 52 and 53 to show them the suffering servant and how that's fulfilled in Jesus. And I want you to start to put the puzzle pieces together and see Job is a picture of the suffering servant called my servant, who then, as you kind of track the Bible down from Moses to David to ultimately this suffering servant, you can see that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. All of us have a desire at the end of our journey in this life to one day hear, as Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents. This is verses 20 and 21. He said, the one who received the five talents, Matthew 25, 20, came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, remember, well done, good and faithful servant, my servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, Jesus says in John 13, that's what I am. If I, your servant and Lord, washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should follow in my steps. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? My servant Job, my servant Jesus, if I came to serve, says Jesus to his disciples, what should you do? Well, the application to us, brethren, is clear. We are to serve. The greatest among you is not the one who is served, but the one who serves others. And so this thread throughout the Bible applies to the church now. We are the servants of the Most High God. We serve one another. We love one another. We serve our community. We serve our spouse. And in serving, we become like our Lord. This was Job's heart all along, and this should be our heart. God goes on as he addresses the leader of the poor comforters. Just a side note, Elihu is not addressed here, which leads many commentators to conclude the last of the speakers, starting in chapter 32, that he was on track with what he said, and the three original poor comforters or friends, they were the ones that were wrong. So God goes on. He says, now therefore, take for yourselves to the leader of the three Eliphaz, seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. Now remember, God's wrath was kindled in verse seven. I will not treat you as you deserve, New Living Translation, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, an offering is uh, now put before these men, and the number seven jumps out to all of us, I think. Job is now to become an intercessor. He's been an innocent sufferer, 
a perfect sacrifice with the number seven being the number of perfection or completion is to be offered. Here you have seven bulls and seven rams. So think of a perfect sacrifice, a perfect number. The innocent sufferer Job becomes a mediator or intercessor in concert with the perfect sacrifice, if you will. And this is how the wrath of God will be appeased towards the poor comforters. And in this, we get another picture of Jesus in the book of Job. Because Jesus offers a perfect sacrifice. He's the unblemished lamb. He intercedes for his people. His substitutionary death on our behalf takes the wrath of God away from us because it came at him in those terrible hours as he faced the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is why we've been telling you that in the book of Job, you have a picture of Jesus and Job intercedes. Now, if you were Job, just think for a minute, and you had had these poor comforters harassing you for days and chapters and chapters as we've studied, would you want to pray for them? I'm sure Job was sick of being falsely accused, sick of being misunderstood, sick of having these guys, you know, make false accusations, yet he does pray for them. And it's Job's prayer that is intercessory. First Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. So the ultimate go-between for us and our sin See, God's wrath is kindled against sin, but Jesus takes our punishment in our place. This is the gospel. If you've never heard the gospel before, here it is simply put, even in the book of Job, an innocent sufferer took your place, namely Jesus. He took God's wrath so that the wrath could be turned away from you. And you must trust in this one mediator. There's one go-between between God and man, that is the God-man, Christ Jesus. Write down 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. He gave his life as a ransom for many. God says, uh, I won't deal with you according to your folly. Hebrew word nebala speaks of wickedness, foolishness, disgraceful action, or sin. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? And so Job as a picture of Jesus, prays for those who falsely accused him. From the cross, Jesus crucified between two criminals, says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the Roman guards and the religious leaders and even the criminals hurl abuse at him after he makes that statement and even before. He prays for those who falsely accuse him and hurl abuse at him. Some of the hardest chapters in the book of Job, some new discoveries for me as I studied the book, like in Job chapter 30, you can write it down, is Job begins to paint a picture of how in the middle of the town square, people who were kind of the, um, not the best people of society, were mocking Job, making songs up about him, walking by him and spitting in his face. This is also where he pictures the coming Messiah, Jesus. And this is what he endured through poor comforters and people mocking him in the community. And yet Job takes an intercessory role 
to turn the wrath of God away from these men. We need to pray for our enemies, and it's not easy to pray for your enemies, but Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Well, even the pagans do the same thing. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael Lance and the Walk in Truth team would like to invite you to our next 633 event, One Nation Under God, How America's Christian Heritage Shaped Our Country, with guest Lenny Esposito, president of Come Reason Ministries. At this free event, we will explore how Christianity played an essential role in shaping this country and how the current push toward a post-Christian culture will mean a fundamentally different America. One Nation Under God will be on July 11th at 6.33 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Or you can watch online on our YouTube channel. Learn more about 633's One Nation Under God when you visit walkintruth.com and click on events or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. He gave his life as a ransom for many. God says, uh, I won't deal with you according to your folly. Hebrew word nebalah speaks of wickedness, foolishness, disgraceful action or sin. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? And so Job, as a picture of Jesus, prays for those who falsely accused him. From the cross, Jesus crucified between two criminals, says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the Roman guards and the religious leaders and even the criminals hurl abuse at him after he makes that statement and even before. He prays for those who falsely accuse him and hurl abuse at him. Some of the hardest chapters in the book of Job, some new discoveries for me as I studied the book, like in Job chapter 30, you can write it down, is Job begins to paint a picture of how in the middle of the town square, people who were kind of the, um, not the best people of society, were mocking Job, making songs up about him, walking by him and spitting in his face. This is also where he pictures the coming Messiah, Jesus. And this is what he endured through poor comforters and people mocking him in the community. And yet Job takes an intercessory role to turn the wrath of God away from these men. You need to pray for our enemies, and it's not easy to pray for your enemies, but Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Well, even the pagans do the same thing. He went on to say that we should pray for those who persecute us. In Romans 12, Paul said that we should pray for those who persecute us and bless and curse not, that we should not repay evil for evil, insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. These are 
some of the hardest verses in the Bible. But do you see, brothers and sisters, that these are verses that make us like our Lord? This is how the world knows we belong to him. When we don't respond like everybody else does. When we don't repay evil for evil. When we don't just love those who scratch our back or make us feel good about ourselves. This is the love of God. Demonstrated at that cross while we were yet enemies. So Eliphaz the Temanite. Here's the three uh, culprits now. Bildad the Shuhite, shortest guy in the Bible, the Shuhite. Never mind. And Zophar the Namathite went as uh, and did as the Lord told them. So they obeyed. And the Lord accepted Job. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> well, the Job's already repented, but he's taken an intercessory role here. And by virtue of God's acceptance of the sacrifice, here's my take on this, and Job's intercessory prayer, by virtue of God's acceptance of Job, the friends are now propitiated for, if you will, or the, the wrath is turned away from them. There's maybe another way to look at this, that as Job prays for others, um, God accepts him. I, I don't know what the right angle of thinking about that is, but I want you to see how this is uh, affirmed in verse 10. It says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job, 10, when he prayed for his friends. That's when the restoration actually engaged is when Job interceded. Now, I do think that there's a lesson here for us, brothers and sisters, that when we are seeking first the kingdom of God, when we're sharing our faith, when we're praying for our, our for other people, even people who might, you know, be thorns in our side, so to speak, God gives us blessings, maybe in unexpected ways. That that could be an application of verse 10, because the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Reading from the NIV, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had had before. Verse 10, NIV. The fortunes of Job restored. Now, Job was a very wealthy man, and in chapter 1, in the very uh, opening verses, we get an idea of what he owned and he had uh, a lot of wealth and a big estate and he had servants and he had uh, 10 children and he had, he, he did a lot of uh, philanthropy, I can say it. He was a benevolent guy. Many people looked to Job for wisdom and help with uh, just everyday life, widows and orphans. And he was a very busy, respected man who lost everything. And so to restore his fortunes twofold is an amazing act of God's grace. And Job's been through a lot and lost a lot. And now he gets double the blessing, a double blessing, if you will. Why? Because he simply prayed, trusted God and persevered. And I think there's a, there's a lesson here for us in persevering that there's blessings on the other side of perseverance, not because we did something great or something enterprising, so to speak, 
Not that we shouldn't do that kind of thing, but because God just delights to bless his people. And he blessed the fortunes of Job. Write this down. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. This uh, restoring of Job's uh, fortune may foreshadow something that happens later in the life of Israel, the restoration from the Babylonian captivity in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, Jeremiah 29, 12, and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, Jeremiah 29, 14, declares the Lord. And notice, I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now that was written to the captives in Babylon who would then have their fortunes restored in Israel. And I believe that there's a foreshadowing in the Babylonian captivity and a foreshadowing in much of Israel's history, even to 1948 and 1967. And I also believe there's an end times idea here where the fortunes of God's people in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ will be restored and will be co-heirs with Christ and reign with him, Revelation 20, for a thousand years. Pretty amazing. And a beautiful picture of even Jesus as he dies, he suffers, dies on the cross, resurrects, and then is crowned with glory and honor and now is back in glory with his father over the entire universe. The fortunes restored. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And uh, I'm going to give you in a moment uh, a thought about the twofold, but we'll, we'll come back to that. They ate bread, middle of 11, back in Job 42, with him in his house, New Living. They feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him, or at least allowed on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. Now, for those of you who have studied the book of Job, you're like, where are these people been? <laughs> Say what? Now they come when everything's over, kind of at the end of his suffering. Where were they in the middle of the suffering? And some of you have questions like that. You've been through a, a tough time. And you're like, uh, where's all the people? Where's all the comfort? Where's all my friends? I got these three poor comforters. Elihu shows up chapters later, but where's my brothers? Where's my sisters? And this could even mean cousins. And we don't know. We don't know if they may have been there part of the time, if they just showed up at the very end of the story as sometimes people tend to do, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we don't know how to minister to people in their suffering. It's at the end of the suffering that they come. But notice, on a positive note, they console and comfort him, and they feast with him. Fellowship is restored. Uh, this is the first time since uh, this meal is the first celebration since chapter 1, verse 4. Reading from a commentary, Job's isolation is replaced by a joyful return to life 
among others. Oh, that speaks to me. Eating bread means that their fellowship is affirmed. Recently here in the office, trying to respect all the uh, things going on with numbers and social distancing, we celebrated a couple birthdays here in the office. And it was so good to be with some of our coworkers who we hadn't been with for quite some time save uh, a Zoom meeting, you know, on our iPad or computer screen. Just so good to be with the, the brothers and sisters. And I know if you're like me, and I know, I think it, we're all this way. We're so looking forward to breaking bread together again. <laughs> we're so looking forward to some normalcy and just to be able to see each other's smiling faces again in real time, in person. Oh, man. Isn't it amazing how we took that for granted? You've been listening to Restoration and Blessing Part 2 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 42. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about Walk in Truth, our church, and the events and studies we have going on, then download our free Living Truth app in your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. And one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. But thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a partner of at least $5 a month? You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow on this station for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Job chapter 42 called Restoration and Blessing. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.